it's too hot to sit around wondering like, how does this, you know, do my thighs look okay to someone else? I'm going to suffocate if I think that, you know? (laughs) And just like, as soon as you start to step out of that thinking, it immediately appears ludicrous. And then it makes you turn around and be like, okay, who is protected by this? Yes. I'm Autumn Brown. And I'm Adrienne Marie Brown. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. Octavia Butler's work is a place where the body is reimagined over and over. And science fiction as a genre is constantly asking us to consider which bodies can survive, which bodies do we value. Octavia wrote so much about this, and one of the things that she wrote are the Earthseed verses, which are part of the parable of the sower and the parable of the talents. And they're verses of a belief system that the protagonist feels into. And I just want to share a quote right now. We are Earthseed. We are flesh, self-aware, questing, problem-solving flesh. We are that aspect of earth life best able to shape God knowingly. We are earth life maturing, earth life preparing to fall away from the parent world. We are earth life preparing to take root in new ground, earth life fulfilling its purpose, its promise, its destiny. In this verse, Octavia Butler and her protagonist are asserting a directness in the connection between the human body and the planet Earth, the human body in relationship with the planet. But intersecting with the beauty and grandiosity of this vision is our lived reality that our bodies right now at this moment are both colonizers on this planet and our bodies are also colonized spaces on this planet. In this episode, we get into talking about why getting in a right relationship with our bodies is key to getting in right relationship with the planet. I I was just thinking about this like a few weeks ago about like what was my first experience of witnessing someone else expressing disgust at my body and Uh that like, you know, you and I are both people who think a lot about like fatness and fat phobia. I don't think either of us have done like a lot of writing about it. I've done a little bit of writing about it. I think you've probably done more writing on your blog about it than I have on mine. But like, you know, and there are people out there who've done tons of writing about fat phobia and fatness. And so at some point I feel like it'd be great for us to like directly reference some of the amazing work that's out there. Like Roxane Gay's book that just came out on hunger um, but like, oh one my of, God. yeah, Can we pause there for a minute and just say like, yes, that book is incredible. Yeah. And actually, I mean, actually, because <sighs> I, I know you're reading it right now. I want to ask you a couple of questions about it, but before that, I just wanted to share this memory that I had because I'm realizing that there, I had this experience a few years ago, right after having Finn, who is my oldest child. Mm. And that Mm -hmm. really was like a, it was a very intense experience to have. And I think it's, and for me, it was an intense experience in that, like I spent up until having a child, I spent most of my like early adult life having like what I think most people would consider like a corner, like culturally approved 
like really nice body, you know, like yeah. skinny waist and skinny calves, but then like a pretty luscious butt and like, you know what I mean? Whatever. And, mm-hmm. and then I, and then, you know, as most people's bodies do, my body changed a lot after I gave birth and, um, and I ended up gaining a lot of weight after giving birth, um, and through the process of nursing and getting lots of really negative feedback from people that there was something wrong with the way my body looked. I mean, like, and, and a lot of it being like through casual conversations where people would say, I have memories of people saying things to me like, oh, I, I know you still have a lot of weight to lose from the baby stuff, but I think you look really sexy right now too. Um, you know, like <laughs> older women in my life saying things like that to me, where it's just like, wow, mm-hmm. like, I can't believe you're couching it in that way. But I have this distinct memory of going to, uh, we were on a trip to Greece, actually, Sam and I, Sam is my partner, and I and Finn, who is 10 months old, and we were traveling with Sam's family. And we were like, getting on public transit. And it was the It was the strangest experience because basically what happened was we were standing on the platform um, waiting for a train. And I happened to look up at these two younger people who Mm -hmm. were standing right behind us. And I happened to look at them right at the moment where I like caught them in the act of like the woman. It was two. It was a woman and a man. And the woman was basically like using her eyes and hands to gesture at my body to ask him if he thought it was hot. And he made this total disgusted face. Like, no, absolutely not. And then like, they both looked at me and saw me staring at them. And I just like, I, I literally just like shot daggers from my eyes. I was like, whatever, like hatred I can send you right now. Like I'm sending you Mm -hmm. all of the worst energy I can send you. And they really received it. Like they could see that I caught them in the act of like, (laughs) being acting like they were grossed out at my body and 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 it was interesting for me because it really for me it really like you know especially now that I have some distance from that experience it really reified for me that like you know that there's all that there's such a huge problem in our language around um access and oppression that we that we continue to use the word phobia for things where it's like, it's not a fear. You know what I mean? It's like what they were expressing towards my body was not a fear of my body. They were expressing hatred and disgust towards my body. And like, that's a whole different, there's something completely different happening there. And for me, it's like similar with like Islamophobia. It's like, no, it's not a fear of Islam when we're what we're talking about with Islamophobia is not a fear of Islam. It's a hatred and disgust of something that you perceive as being so other than yourself. And it's not to say that fear doesn't play a role in people's hatred and disgust, but like boiling it down as though fear is the thing that's at the base of it instead of this other thing that's actually much more, I think, insidious and harder to root out. Um, that, that is, that has been like a real sticking point for me whenever I hear conversations about fat phobia, where I'm like, we're not even talking about this in the way we need to be talking about it to some extent. Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? I totally, deeply, deeply agree with that. I feel like, you know, it's one of the things like since I was younger that I I remember the first time being like, oh, fat phobia. And I'm just like, yeah, there's a level at which I think people are scared of other people's fatness and scared of the idea that they could also get fat, that like fat is something that could like reach across the aisle and, and grab them up. Right. Um, 
and constantly like, you know, gobble them up. Like it really is like shaping it as like, it's a monster. And so I totally agree with that questioning of it because I do think it, it makes it like the person who's experiencing it is kind of like innocent in that. It's like, oh, I, I, I didn't mean to bully them. I was just so scared, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, mm. Mm. like, that's not how it actually feels as it's playing out anyway, in my experience. And yeah. it's fatness has been one of these things that like, again, recently, even to this morning, I was looking in the mirror as I often do these days and just being like, damn, I look really good to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like having this experience of so many things that I was taught were ugly or disgusting or bad or undesirable um, about my own body um, or my race or my, I mean, which is my body, but, you know, just like all these things that I was taught were like, this is gross about you. And as I get older, I'm like, oh no, this is like one of the best things about me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, particularly like my body where I'm like, I've gotten this feedback from lovers for years, which is like, you should live naked. Like I've had, I've heard that from like all these people. And it's so counter to everything that I grew up hearing about my body, which was like, it's shameful. It needs to be covered. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. No one's ever going to want that. You're going to be lucky if anyone does want that. Um, You know, if someone does, then you should bend over backwards to make sure you can keep that person. You know, like, I mean, it's just set up like, you know, system after system of unwell behaviors and unwell thinking in myself. So then it's been like such a godsend to be kind of recovering access to my body and recovering Mm. like access to my own real experience of my body. So I feel like it started a couple of years ago on my sabbatical where I, for part of it, was at this like clothing optional place in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Remember? It was like, you know, and, and people, it really was optional. You know, some people would wear some suits or whatever. Um, and I found myself like as often as possible just being like, is it time to take all this off again? Hey, <laughs> you know, like, I was just like, I'm loving this experience. Um And loving, like, just being in relationship with people of a lot of different kinds of bodies, Mm -hmm. all of which were still smaller than mine. Um, And having having this, like, feeling of my own confidence in what I was bringing. And now I've been experiencing that a lot. So, like, I'll be in, like, a changing room at a gym or a spa or something and notice that, like, all the smaller people around me are, like, doing contortions to make sure that everything stays covered the entire time. Yes. Um, while I'm over here, like just throwing everything off and just feeling like, look at this glorious, miraculous body that I have and contend with it and feel whatever you're going to feel about it, but I'm comfortable in it and there's nothing to hide. Um, and, and starting to have an internal dialogue like that, that comes more and more naturally. Yes. I mean, I think, and I think it's like, you know, when I've stepped back from, um, some of the language that I hear and like some of the things that you were just sharing about like messages that you yeah. heard as a child and as a young adult, like, and I mean, it's one of those things where like when you step back from it, you can so clearly see how much it really truly is the language of an oppressor. Like it's the language yeah. and it's the language of an abuser, right? Like the idea yeah. that you have to make yourself a certain way in order to deserve love and if you can't maintain yeah. that certain way of being, then you literally do not deserve love and you don't deserve to be looked at. And, you know, a huge function of, yeah, a huge, a huge way that fat, fat 
quote unquote fat phobia. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it fat hatred for the rest of this conversation. But a huge Let's just part call of the it fat way hatred. Let's call Let's it, call what it, it fat, is. Hatred, fat hatred. Um, but a huge part of the way fat hatred functions in society is by the like averting of the gaze. You know that like this person I'm I can't even bring myself to look at this person, and that's reinforcing of the idea that yeah. they don't deserve to be in public. And it's just yes. it's one of those things that is so clearly rooted in like uh, in oppression and in the idea that they're that that we have to have ways to enforce that some people get to take up space and other people don't um but then there's this really deep like um psychosis to it (laughs) where uh, where everyone's then in that psychology so like I had a friend visiting uh, a few weeks ago who um is like extremely thin um, and small and, but then like has like a really nice ass. Um, and she was expressing, (laughs) she was expressing jealousy towards the body of another person that we know who's much thinner than her and basically doesn't have an ass. Right. And so it was just really intense to be like, Oh my God, like you're expressing essentially like a version of fat hatred as someone who like, isn't fat in any way. And like, but fat hatred towards yourself and like a desire for this other thing that this other person has. And again, so much of that is also just rooted in like colonial thinking and, or, or a colonizing approach to like policing of bodies, right? That like the, the thing that we most want to punish is the thing that looks like abundance. And so it's really like, I mean, it's a, it's a real, I mean, it's really like really interesting when you like all the way, write it all the way down, bitch. Um, But it's just really interesting when you, (laughs) when you kind of like, it like at, for me, it's been interesting as I've continued like peeling back those layers of like, what's actually happening here? Like, Oh my God, this is even it's, and there's a way in which I like, I sometimes I'm like, this is even worse than we think it's even worse than I thought, you know, it's like, it absolutely is. I mean, if you think about, so my experience, and I would love to hear yours on this, of like traveling outside the U.S., um, mm. like traveling, you know, the further north the place is, like really seeing like, oh, this system roots into these places too. Mm-hmm. Um, so like traveling in England, I'm like, oh, I can see there's this proper, this concept of what a proper body is and like a proper way of, of bringing that body into the public that's like not just about size and scale but like how it's dressed and what lines go where and all this stuff. And then traveling to other spaces and primarily here, I think of like global South spaces that I've been to. So, you know, going down to South Africa, going even to like Jamaica and and like Mexico, which is like technically North, but you know, it feels like Mm. it connects more with the global South um, ways of being and, and living like the way that people interact with my body in those spaces is so like, first of all, there's just a lot of not caring, (laughs) you know, like there's a lot of like, we're not really looking at you. uh, Like what you're doing with your body is like not the center of attention in the same way. Yes. Um, Or if we are, there might be something very directly spoken. Like I've had people, like I remember being in Jamaica um, visiting with a friend and having someone just be like, Oh, like basically, do you have babies? Because you've got these stretch marks on your arms. And I was like, nope, no babies, just the stretch marks. And <laughs> then she just kind of like laughed it off. And it was like, fine. And I felt fine with it because it didn't feel like she was trying to control anything. It was just like, I'm really curious about whether you have children. Right, basically. right, right, right. Um, 
like it just it felt like oh this is indicative like this is data to me versus like this is a judgment like a, something I'm going to judge against you um, mm. and then in other places being like you know something else might be the shocker like the fact that I have tattoos might be more shocking than the, my size or something but then even in the U.S. I find that this is like I remember the first time going to New Orleans when it was hot outside and just being like oh they figured this out here like Everyone is just wearing like butt shorts and nothing else and like teeny, teeny tops, maybe, and just rolling out and just being like, it's too hot to sit around wondering like, how does this, you know, do my thighs look okay to someone else? I'm going to suffocate if I think that, you know? (laughs) And just like, as soon as you start to step out of that thinking, it immediately appears ludicrous. And then it makes you turn around and be like, okay, who is protected by this? Yes. And yes you know, like who benefits from it, right? And it's totally like, oh, these food industries, these industries of constant detox, these industries of constant dieting, um, which are not about getting in right relationship with like the resources of the planet. It's really just like change your body. It doesn't look good to the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I feel like- And it doesn't, and you know, it represents abundance and you're not supposed to have any, so. Yes, no. <laughs> exactly. And I feel I like, that. I mean, I feel like this summer for me has been, um, I mean, I've, I've definitely been in like a major like, revolution period like personal revolution in myself around a lot of things over the Mm. last year but this summer has Mm -hmm. really been amazing for me in terms of just really um uh just really enjoying my skin and enjoying my lusciousness and enjoying like um enjoying like fully browning up like being out in the sun as much as I can and getting as brown as I can and like exposing as much skin as I can and just really enjoying that. Um, and really, um, soaking in as much of like the positive feedback and positive energy I get from others about my body. Well, what's the turning point? You know, like, what do you feel like happened? Cause you know, I remember when you were like, you know, I, actually, I mean, it's such a deep thing for us because I remember when you were like super skinny girl mm-hmm. um, and I remember the living in the comparisons of that too. You yeah. know, the people were like just had a lot of feelings or thoughts about like why my body looked the way mine did and yours and April's really looked different from that. And then you were even skinnier than April at a certain point, you know, it was just like, oh, it was like this, that, you know, it's like, oh, you must've gotten that from your dad or, you know, there were just comments there. Right, like constant investigation that. of why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People are like, what's wrong with Adrian? Like, um, she ate everyone else's food. What, you know, like just whatever was going on and knowing that, I mean, just like reading the, the Roxanne Gay book, the hunger book and realizing like, actually I was not a chubby kid. Um, like I definitely like gained weight in response to trauma Mm -hmm. and it was, so it was like, you know, that's also been a part of my like transition into as I'm healing that trauma, like being like, Oh, thank you body. Like, thank you for the ways that you protected and took care of me Mm. and like held me during that. Um, but then, and we can come back to that, but I also remember when you went through your pregnancy and gained weight. And I remember after that people being like, we would get a lot more of like, y'all look alike. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, for me, I'm enjoying that. Um, Cause I'm just like, you know, you're gorgeous. That's awesome. But really wondering like, how was that for you? And sort of how did you, how did you move through to this place that you are now? Where you're like loving your lusciousness and. 
Yeah, that's a really good question because I think like for me, I definitely, I mean, I went through lots of different iterations with this. Like there was Mm -hmm. the initial Mm -hmm. experience of feeling just like betrayed by the fact that Mm -hmm. like nursing didn't result in weight loss. Like that, that's a whole thing (laughs) for, for people who've given birth to babies. Like, you know, it's this, it's this whole thing where like everyone tells you beforehand that like whatever weight you gain during pregnancy, you'll lose because of nursing. And that's pure mythology. Like it's just, there's, Uh there's very little direct relationship between nursing and weight loss. It's like 50, 50, you know what I mean? It's It's like like your facts need more facts. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I mean, and, and the idea that like the idea that it would be a good, I mean, and this is, again, these are, these are like my sort of like iterative moments as I've gone through my own process with this. But like at first there was betrayal. Then there was a sense of like profound confusion once I realized that I wasn't losing weight, there was this profound confusion at the idea that it would be a good sign if I was losing weight yeah. while feeding someone else from my body. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just like, yep. wait a minute. Like, there's like <laughs> no other like mammal that we can think of on the planet for whom we would say, yeah, what we really want is to see that whale lose like as much weight as possible while it's nursing its baby. And that would be the sign that that whale is returning to perfect health. It's like, no, makes no, no that's, that makes zero sense. Right. Um, and you know, of course, and I had like lots of conversations with other moms, moms, a, a big turning point for me was talking with other mothers who struggled to keep weight on after having babies mm. and how hard and how like, hungry they were at all times and how miserable they were and how cold they were all the time. And just like all of the, there's like extraordinary health issues that going along, that go along with being too thin as we know. Right. Um, so there's this, you know, and of course I've just like, I've learned a lot about it over time. I've learned that, you know, thinness, like being too thin kills people on an order that being too fat never does and never has. Do you know what I mean? So I think like there's there's been yeah. a lot of reversal for me around just just shit that you learn as a as an adolescent when you're basically being inducted into patriarchy. There's just shit that you learn that's just not grounded <laughs> in facts at all. And then you get on well, and I think- you get into your like for me a big part of it came from like moving into like um, moving out of my maiden body into my matron body or whatever, like my mother body, and then learning all of this stuff on the other side of that, the wisdom that just comes from, um, like the having co- gone through that transformation. Um, but yeah. to answer your question really directly in terms of what it meant for me to go from being a skinny person to being a fat person, um, especially in relationship to having, you know, for me, like it was really profound to do that after having been in relationship with you and April and mom, my whole and and having witnessed you all in different ways struggling with weight throughout all of my adolescence yeah. and early adulthood. And then yeah. finally having the other side, having having the experience of what it was that you all were experiencing and for years that I never, I never knew what it felt like to be on that, on the other side of that conversation. Um, yeah. It gave me a profound sense of solidarity with you and with April and with mom, it, a profound sense of like, fuck all those people, like fuck them for making you feel that way. And I have to say like, you know, I, I truly, I never felt comfortable with the ways in which I experienced comparison with you and April as a kid either. I'd always, 
I mean, yeah. and that was like racially as well. You, I mean, you, I know yeah. you remember, and I remember too, constantly being given the feedback that I was the prettiest one because yeah. I had green eyes and y'all had brown eyes and because I was skinnier than you. And I knew from a very mm-hmm. early age that that was complete fuckery. You know what I mean? Like it was like very clear to me. It was very clear to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm the prettiest one. Yeah. Like, that's just exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's hilarious too when you're a younger sister and you're like, but she has boobs, you know, it's like this whole thing, but like, but for me, <laughs> right. But, well, I mean that, that was such a big part of like the comparison of, of like, you know, starting with the race and the eyes and the stuff like that. And then moving to the body and being like, Oh, you know, I think there's also this control stuff that comes in, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, Oh, I can't like, this is not just a function of control, which is one of the, the reasons why I think the book, the hunger book is so good. Cause there's so many ways in which it's like, Oh, she writes everything in this very accessible and almost simple way, but it's these very complex emotional territory that she's covering Mm. and part of it is that like oh everyone thinks that you have control over it and you're making a decision like Mm -hmm. you know I could if I just did this I would be fine but instead I'm doing this and like not understanding that it's like no like I I might be healthy I might have an eating disorder you actually can't tell that from looking at me like I might have an eating disorder. I might have a thyroid disorder or I might actually just like, this is my size. And that's been part of what I've <laughs> right. been wrestling with is like, how do you know which is which and why do people feel like they have so much ground to um, assess you as non-doctors and try to tell you like, oh, here's what I have decided is going on. Well, and so especially- I'm like, if you see me and you never see me exercise and you see me only eat Skittles, then like, yeah, we can totally have a conversation about my health. Um, that's not, it's not just about my weight, but I know the part of what's blown my mind is like in this past few years where I tore my meniscus and I've got early onset arthritis Mm. is even when the doctors told me, they were like, you know, this is very weight related. And then I've met all these other skinny people who have the same things. And I'm like, so if this is weight related, then how come all these skinny people also have torn meniscus and mm-hmm. like early onset arthritis and all these other, you know, heart problems and heart attacks and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I think that the fat hatred that we're talking about, I really think that it skews how people even approach like scientific explorations and like gathering data about what's happening in the body. Mm-hmm. Cause I think people are like, we hate fat fat is to blame for this, whether it actually is to blame for it or not. And then it makes it very difficult as a person of size to get accurate information about anything related to your health. Exactly. And I mean, it's very well documented at this point that because of the fact that so much of the medical field will ascribe health issues to fatness, that aren't actually directly yeah. related in any evidentiary way to fatness. They're actually... You better say evidentiary. I said evidentiary. Um, <laughs> they, they actually prevent access to care for fat people, right? And then that increases the health issues that they have because they can't get access to the care that they need. I think that's one of the things that's been really... Uh, I think another part of the turning point for me yeah. is actually doing a review myself of the evidence and being like, oh, like... Half the shit that people repeat to you when they think as skinny people, they can tell you about yourself as a fat person yeah, is just not grounded in anything that's scientific. 
Well, so this gets into like one of my shady petty things, <laughs> which is like, you is know, people not being scientists. <laughs> I'm like, you're not science. You don't know any science. But actually, one of the things that happens in my brain is I do little comparative studies. Like after someone gives me health advice, like I do start to notice like so many of those people eat like crap. Like I drink, <laughs> like I'm just like, you don't eat well. Like you eat non-organic, like GMO filled crap that you get from somewhere, super highly processed food that you don't know the source of it and you don't know the name of it. You don't eat a bunch of like fresh vegetables and stuff like that. And like, I'm like, I'm over here doing all of that. Like, you know, I travel a lot, but even as I travel, like I know what my options are for like, where in the airport can I go get something that's not going to be a disaster inside my body. And, mm-hmm. you know, I avoid most dairy and most meat when I'm on the road. And like, really, I mean, I just like put a lot of time and effort into the quality of food that I'm getting. And that's been something I've been increasing over the past five years. And I love having those little, you know, it's purely internal, right? Like I don't point it out like, oh, look at you eating like <laughs> that again. But I do have that petty moment You're not inside like externally of myself shady. where I'm just sort of like, wow, I'm being so good to my body. And, um, and that includes like loving it in spite of the onslaught of unsolicited advice that is constantly coming towards it. Um, and making my own choices inside of that. Um, but then I also love the moment when I go to the doctor and I can see that they have like whatever assumptions and then going through all the tests and they always come back and they're like, wow, your heart's in great shape. Your liver's in great shape. Mm, you're in great mm-hmm. shape. You just need to, right. you know, stay active and be more active. Cause you know, wearing, I've been also wearing a Fitbit, you know, to sort of suss out like, Am I a sloth? Like tracking your activity. (laughs) Basically, Mm -hmm. like what's wrong with me? And it's like, yeah, on the days that I'm home, which are not very many, as you know, on the days that I'm home, I'm a couch potato. I will like lay on the couch with TV going nonstop and just do my work right there. And, but that's like four days out of a month. And then the rest of the time, like when I'm facilitating, I'm on my feet a huge portion of a day. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other days I'm traveling, which means like walking miles through airports and like carrying this massive bag around and lifting it. So like when I actually get comparative with people, like I can usually lift more than they can. I can usually walk longer or further, you know, Um, I might not be the strongest person, but I'm like pretty strong. Um, And the things that go wrong are more like, you know, I have a bad tendency of like, if something does go wrong, I don't love going to the doctor to get it sorted. And so sometimes I wait too long to actually get the help I need in part Mm -hmm. because, you know, medical profession can be so um, traumatizing for people who, who they look at and they make assumptions around. And, oh my God, oh my God. I just had like, I literally just had, I think I probably told you this story, but I'll tell it again because now we're recording. Well, tell the Um, people. I, I, I tell the people the story. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I had exactly one of those experiences that is, you know, is exactly the kind of thing that makes you not want to go to the doctor, right? Like where, you know, as you know, um, at the beginning of March, I had a surgery yeah, and, um, and it was like a laparoscopic abdominal surgery, like went right through my little belly button. And about two weeks after the surgery, um, I, my incision started hurting. And so I went back to get it checked, but I wasn't able to see my regular doctor because I needed to get it checked that day. And my regular gynecologist, doctor, OBGYN person, she's incredible. She's like amazing. Right. Um, Mine too. Oh, and I should say, I should say, now. I should say for the, for the purposes of this show that, because I think it's really helpful con- contextualizing of how 
terrible this experience was that the surgery I had was a sterilization surgery, right? Like I had gone, I had made the decision that I didn't want to have any more babies biologically. And I went and I got my tubes tied or cauterized or whatever we say now. And so I'm two weeks out from a a sterilization surgery, mind you. And this is something that like my, my regular doctor would know that this sterilization surgery is coming like Mm. two and a half years after losing my fourth baby and after me having had three living children, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a big deal is what I'm saying. So I go in the door and I go to get this incision checked and I'm just there to get my incision checked. And the doctor that comes in, who has just been assigned to check my incision, she walks in the door and is followed in by three students. And she doesn't ask me before they walk in whether I'm okay with them being in the room. She asks me as they walk in the door if I'm okay with it. Oh, hell Um, no. And then proceeds to turn my whole appointment into an opportunity to teach these students, like, how to interact with a patient and how to work through a chart. So... Um, so after they check my incision to ensure that it's fine and it turns out it's fine and that the appointment should have been over at that point, instead they go on to start working through my chart. They ask me if I'm willing to get vaccinated for something that I'm like out of date with. And then the doctor goes and looks at my BMI and starts interviewing me, like interrogating me about my weight loss plan based on my BMI. And I... And then instead of doing what I should have done in that, in that moment, which is to say, this appointment is over and I'm leaving the room. Um, like I should have, I should have just left the room or, or or like knocked her brains out. Um, what I instead did was performed the perfect patient. Like I just answered all of her questions and I was very friendly and I especially was in performance mode, I think because there were students in the room. Um, but again, again, if I had been actually performing the perfect patient, I would have totally just left because, uh, (laughs) that's what, that's what a perfect patient would have done. Right. Is just like, be like, this is not what I came here for. And it's totally inappropriate for you to be asking me these questions so I'm leaving now um but it was one of those moments for me of like it's really hard to it's hard to walk out the door and because they have so much control and so much power in that situation and so it was one of those perfect examples for me of like how do you know that I'm here because I'm two weeks out from a sterilization surgery and you think that it's appropriate to ask me about my weight loss plan yeah I I definitely had this moment where I was reflecting on the experience afterwards and thinking about the, the fat hatred that was happening in that moment. And that that doctor as a fellow cis woman in there's something, there's something that clicked into place in her mind that said, in spite of how much I, as a fellow cis woman understand this conversation to be one that induces shame, I'm still going to force you to have that conversation with me in spite of the fact that I know that you just had a surgery that's designed to ensure that you don't have any more children. And even though I'm looking at your chart and I can see that your fourth baby died, I'm still going to have that conversation with you. Well, there's just like this deep, deep level of, you know, a lack of empathy or like an inability to see, see someone in their wholeness. But, you know, I think one of the things that's always been complicated to me is like that when people have broached the topic of my health with me, um, because I've had people, you know, I've had family, I've had friends, I've had different people broach it in different ways. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the worst is when people are like, look, someone's got to say it to you, right? Like that kind of energy of like, someone's got to make you turn and face it and get real about it. And like that energy, you know, there's just no room usually in there for the fact that it's like, I am totally aware of what's going on. I've tried everything every day. I'm trying everything because I've been told I need to try everything because I'm living in this body every day. Exactly. And that's what, again, I appreciate. I felt like Roxanne, Roxanne's book did such a good job of like putting a finger on that particular thing of like, you think I'm ever not aware of it? Like I'm in the world all the time. And I have to think, you know, I travel all the time. I'm in airplane seats all the time. I have to figure out, is the seatbelt going to fit or all these different things? Like I'm aware of it Mm. all the time. And I'm making choices within it of what I'm going to do. And so the best conversations have been the ones where people really come with some curiosity because I'm also like, I don't want to dismiss that like having extra weight on your body can be something, right? Or can Mm -hmm. mean something. Like I don't want to dismiss what is obesity. I don't want to dismiss that there are times when I feel like, oh, I am addicted to sugar and I can't make better choices around it. Mm. There are times, like all of those things happen and are also true. Um, and and it's been so good. Like, like I've been running this Facebook group because you did that sugar shift, that sugar cleanse. Was it like four years ago now or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was like 2014, 2013 that I did it 2013, the first time. yeah? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, just this idea of like cleansing the body, you know, like clearing the body of sugar and then recalibrating, right? And just the idea that like sugar can be really addictive for people. So I've had this Facebook space and holding that space and seeing all these people of very different sizes who are wrestling with their relationship to sugar has been so helpful in terms of like, okay, how do we have more honest conversations about the fact that like there are foods and drinks and practices that are, that do not induce health And there are those that really do induce health. And Mm -hmm. we shouldn't pretend that like someone who is overweight and who is never able to, you know, engage in what would be considered healthier behaviors, like never able to engage in physical activity or always feels like they're out of control with their food. Like there's something there. There's some work, some healing, something needed there, but it may never change that person's size, right? Mm -hmm. And that's been one of the things for me is like, I've been about the same size, give or take, you know, like I I have like this 30 pound range and I've gained and lost that same range of weight over and over again. And, Mm. um, but I'm basically in this range and like when I'm on the lower end of it, I feel really great on, you know, my knees feel really great. Everything feels Mm -hmm. really great. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I'm in the upper range, I feel less great, but still pretty great, (laughs) you know? And like, then I will, but then the problem is, you know, if I injure myself, then it takes me longer Mm -hmm. to recover. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's like harder for me to, to function. And so that's what I've been paying attention to is like, oh, I don't injure myself simply because I'm overweight. I injure myself because I'm really careless (laughs) and I like try to do too many things at a time, or I try to rush into a physical activity that's way beyond what I'm able to do. And then Mm -hmm. I injure myself and I'm not able to recover quickly. And the thing that helps me not injure myself has been doing a lot of yoga, right? Yeah. Like actually doing stretches and being in a mobile like lifestyle with my body is when I don't injure myself as much. And that happens at all different sizes. And this summer has been really nice because I've been doing like dance parties here in the house. 
straight up putting on the troll soundtrack. <laughs> oh, the I troll soundtrack movie. is the best. It's so good for dancing around the house. Like you're just sort of like everybody, take your hair and move your body. I'm like, I will troll. So. Yes. <laughs> And just like moving around and being like, I want to move around because my body, you know, I'm feeling mobile. I'm stretching every morning and then my body naturally wants to move around. Exactly. When I think that like I wanted to loop back to something you had said before about that, like the when people confront you about your health situation as though like someone needs to say something, you know, and it's like and it's not to say, of course, of course, like it is it can be very true that people can be very much like in denial about their the circumstances surrounding their health um yeah. and that is as true of skinny people as it is of fat people right so like you know i mean i remember for years try, us trying to like intervene on dad to eat some vegetables you know it's just yes. like that's like <laughs> as and he has been skinny our whole lives right so like um that's like that's that i think that like there is something to be said for like you know, what does it mean that we have a society that really grounds a lot of our practice around healthy behaviors and the idea of interventions, I think is like something that maybe to return to as a question. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, why do we so often feel like we have to intervene on each other? Um, And I would say that a lot of it has to do with the fact... right to intervene on fat people, even if skinny people are doing the same exact things. Exactly. And, Mm -hmm. um, And in fact, we feel very little right to intervene on skinny people, even when we can clearly see that skinny people are damaging their bodies. Um, we still say and, you look good, girl. <laughs> yeah, in ways that like it's really it's mm-hmm. like for me in, in my life, I I feel like I tend to be very much more easily disturbed by a really really skinny body than by a fat body, and yet I know that I like many people have been really taught to sublimate the rea- response of that person's body is is concerning to me, or or I find it I find it disturbing that their body looks like that, you know. Um, so I think that that's like a, that's a whole question, but I think that one of the, one of the things for me around the intervention on fat people that I find particularly offensive and, but is to me again, deeply related to systemic oppression is that so much of why and how people intervene on fat people is rooted in an assumption of their laziness and rooted in an assumption of their stupidity. And the, like the connection between fatness, laziness, and stupidity is both like a very classist and racialized stereotype uh, around the idea that like, if only you knew this, or if only someone had said something to you, or if only you were trying harder, if only you were doing more then like, you wouldn't look like this is and for me, particularly as someone who's parenting three children and working full time, and it's just like the idea that the issue is my activity level or that I'm like lazy in some way or that I'm not trying hard enough is so problematically offensive to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's and, really and again, like rooted not in like, you know, and, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, um, there's there's a huge access issues to that, right? Where it's like, so yeah, not, not everyone has a life that's set up in a way that enables them to, you know, work out every day. Like for me, it, it's re- it really took me until um, until the fall of last year to get to a point where I could fit into my life a 15 minute workout every day followed by a shower, and that was like. I remember the incredible victory that I experienced 
that was at as much related to the fact that I started showering every day as it was to the fact that I started working out every day. I had spent like, that was, you know, I had been a parent at that point for eight years and I had yeah. not been in a practice of showering every day. I was like showering probably on average every three days because like, that's how my life is set up. Like it's very hard for me to take time to do things that to me feel indulgent and like that is its mm. own problematic thinking. Right. But like, that's, you know, so, so to me, there's just this like, huge pull the thread. Honey. I know pull, pull the, the thread. thread yeah. Right. So it's like, there's this that. huge, there's a huge access issue there that people aren't paying attention to. That's like, you know, for some of us, for some of us, like our lives are set up in such a way that because we are responsible for so much, like, like having to carve the out future of the world, like raising the future of the world and also like paying all of the bills for our household and everything else is like, you know, the idea that I would then also have time to both like go for a walk and take a shower and like go for a swim, you know, like and the big a big part of why that has shifted in my life. I mean, there's a there's several things that really have like clicked into place. One of them has to do with like coming into a truly co-equal co-parenting relationship with my partner and that's been amazing yeah. for both of us um and part of it has also been that like my kids are none of my kids are toddlers now and that just changes yeah. everything you know what I mean like the fact that all three of my living children are now school-aged changed everything in terms of what felt possible for me um but so you know that's my own personal journey but I really do think that like when you think about the level of economic access that you need to have in order to be able to work out on a regular basis, like the time and the money that you need in a society that is not set up in a way that like um, encourages people to be outside or makes space for people to be outside <laughs> exactly. actively. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything in our society is gamed against people doing things with their bodies. And yet we're made to feel we're made, we're punished and made to feel lazy for not figuring out ways to do things with our bodies. And like, I have more access <laughs> than a lot of people. Like I live out in the woods, you know what I mean? Where I have, I at least have a lot of outdoor beautiful space where I can go outside to be active. Right. But I still have to drive right. to get anywhere. Well, and I think there's something about like also what gets condoned as activity or the like something that counts as exercise anyway. (laughs) So this is also why the summer to me is so delicious because like in the summer it's like, oh, I just want to go outside. Oh, I'm going to do some yoga. Now it's time to go jump in the lake. Now it's time to go garden. Now it's time to go do something. You know, it's like there's, I'm not that I garden, but you do, you know, it's like just time to do some physical thing. Like it feels like it's much more available. Mm -hmm. I also feel like for years and years now, like I've done the same cycle of like, I joined the gym, I'm going to the gym. I don't like the gym. Now I'm not exercising. Right. And instead of like, you know, like if the, we had a different structure of society or different things were valued, it's like, what does your body love to do? Do that. Like, right. that's what your body loves. You and love it's like, to oh, dance. my body loves biking and I love dancing and I love swimming. And like, I don't love them as exercise. I just love them because they're freaking awesome. And it's like mm-hmm. flying and moving around and it's sensual and it just like suits me. And the idea of like, and it's never sat well with me, but the idea of like, I'm going to go put myself in a building that is unnatural um, and do this very cool physical thing, but do it in a 
unnatural way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so like, if you know, like I'm going to go run on a machine, uh, you know, just whatever. There's these different things where I'm like, I get it if it's like winter in Minnesota, but otherwise it's like, there's this gorgeous world out there. And, and like, why don't we engage in activities in ways that, that make us be a part of that world? Yeah. Um, and I feel like whenever I'm doing that, my body just naturally, like there's so much more joy in it. And like the more joy I feel in the body, the more health gets generated in my body. Yes. Right? It's like, oh, I want to feel good. I want to feel healthy. You know, when I'm around the kids, I'm like, I'm playing badminton and like running around playing soccer and all this stuff. Cause like, it's fun to do with them. So I think so much of it is like what gets counted and what's and what qualifies as like the impetus for physical activity um, and like letting go, like so much unlearning and letting go of like what other people tell you is, you know, qualifiable physical activity. Um, mm-hmm. And then being like, you know, I'm into the trends, right? I'm like, oh, what's the new cleanse? What's the new detox? What's the new high intensity thing? Like, I love all those things and hopefully I will still love them even though they never land as something that I want to do all the time. So I always approach them periodically like, oh, now I'm into this thing and I'm not going to get over attached and like, I am now a Pilates person. You know, it's just like right now, this is the thing that suits me and it might be something else, you know, in a little while. And there's certain things I keep coming back to. And now I'm hoping that booty shorts (laughs) is something that I keep returning to and like, you know, wearing crop tops with like having a belly that kind of spills over and is soft. And mm. that feels, you know, radical. And the thing that's been super exciting is like, I'm feeling all wild, radical, crazy for doing this stuff. And now I'm finding like this amazing community of other people online who are like claiming our full bodies and claiming the sensuality of it. You know, it's like there's the body positive movement and there's like, you know, folks who are just like, let's tear down the walls of what is considered fatness. Um, you know, my friend Shira Hassan, for me personally, has done incredible work around this. So yes. helping me notice like you're you're being negative towards your body right now. And why? Um, and the relationship between fatness and ableism and like the ways that ableism infuses the conversation around fatness so much. It's so um, real. It's so intense. And then like Lindy West has done incredible writing. I mean, like this is just a really great time to be fat and alive because it feels (laughs) like these boundaries are getting pushed for actually getting to feel good in the body that you have and approach health from the body that you have Um, and be more honest. And, you know, the Roxanne book, to me, part of what I love about it is she doesn't let anyone off the hook of how hard it can be also to struggle with fatness. And like she makes the distinction between... Um, what I would call like my fatness where I'm, I'm fat and I can still shop at like Lane Bryant or Torrid and I can fit into stuff that I can order online. Mm -hmm. Um, and she talks about, you know, being twice that size and twice that weight and like not being able to buy things that way or access things that way. And how it's like, I can't rock the fashions I want to rock. I can't express myself through my clothing. Um, and like, and what that increase of size does for things like travel and public perception. And I think that's also key. It's like both key to be able to say, like, don't just automatically judge what's going on with my body. And also there's some really hard stuff that goes on with this body and how, you know, like how does each person get the sacred space to work that out themselves? Yes. And like, how, how does it become like a path that's about like being liberated from pain? Because for me, 
you know, like one of the things that I often experience is that people will tell me like, wow, you look really good right now. And the thing that they're responding to, I know, like they think that they're complimenting me for having, they think I've lost weight and that that's what they're complimenting me for. But the thing that I, they, the thing that I know, because I actually know how much I weigh in relationship to how much I weighed, like, you know, the month before is that what's actually going on is because of, you know, the particular type of like workout that I do that's really grounded in core realignment and healing of the pelvic floor that because I'm doing that work, I'm not in pain. And that's what they're witnessing. What they think looks like weight loss is actually that I'm moving through the world and not experiencing pain as I'm moving. And that makes me feel good. And it makes me move differently. And so they're like, wow, you look so different. I'm like, yeah, it's because I'm not in pain. And so it's like, you know, it's so key to me that like how much we perceive, you know, how much we perceive that there's something wrong with someone's body that we assign to size is actually, we actually might be perceiving that there's something wrong and that the thing that's wrong is that they're in pain. And we're, we're assigning it in a way because, because in so many ways, um, emotionally and spiritually, we're really shut off from each other. We're shut off from noticing each other's energy in that way, or we're shut off from understanding that that's what we're picking up on, you know? Exactly. I get this all the time. I feel like people will tell me stuff like you lost so much weight. You look so great. And like in my head, I'm like, I'm at the, the peak weight that I've ever been at as an adult, but I have been stretching and working out Mm -hmm. and doing my yoga. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've been drinking tons of water. My joints feel well oiled. I've been moving Mm -hmm. and I'm not hurting. And I'm like going up and down these stairs and not hurting. I mean, the other day, you know, I tore my meniscus two years ago in my knee. And the other day I had a moment of like, you know, I've done my PT and I've like taken it easy, taken it slow and let things heal. And I'm like, oh, I think I might be ready to go biking again, which has been one of the things that I was not able to do. And I'm like, oh, that's so exciting. How do I know that that's possible in my body? And it's like, oh, because of the way I've been doing stairs. And like realizing that I still take the stairs one at a time a lot of times. And it's just just like pattern (laughs) because I've been doing that for a couple of years. So I'm just like, ooh. And I had to tell myself like, you're okay. You're not going to fall down. You can take the stairs. Like you can walk just straight up and down the stairs. Um, And if you need to adjust again, you will adjust again. You know, like I've built, I'm building this like trusting relationship with my body that like ability comes and goes. And sometimes it comes and goes because of size. And sometimes it comes and goes because of other things. Mm -hmm. And like, I can keep shifting with, you know, the abilities as they shift in my body um, and if I listen, then I don't have to increase the harm. Every time I get injured is because I'm not listening. And so then I increase the harm because my body's like, hey, we got to get your attention. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and make sure you slow down. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, let us know. There's so many ways to support us. You can comment or repost the podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can also make a sustaining donation through Patreon by visiting our page, patreon.com slash endoftheworldshow. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by our beloved Zach Rosen. Music for today's show comes to us from Blue Dot Sessions and Tunde Olaniran. The song you're hearing now is called Symbol. 
and it was actually co-written by Tune Day with Adrienne Marie Brown. You can find Tune Day's music on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, or Amazon. Thanks for listening. Can we live forever?